Hello and welcome to this uh, episode of In Conversation. Uh, I'm David Gavigan. I'm Kate McGavin. And today we're with Emer Reynolds. Emer, thank you so much for coming to see the with us. My pleasure. Uh, first of all, we started off the exact same way with everybody. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Well, I grew up um, mainly, mainly in Dublin. Um, I was uh, born and reared mostly in Rohini in Dublin. Um, but I also spent a good portion of my childhood in Tipperary, in Mulnahone. We kind of lived between the two. So, uh, yeah, I basically I had the best of both worlds. It was the 70s in Dublin. Um, Dublin was doing great in the football, and Tipperary was doing great in the hurling. So we were a win-win. Um, Could have been, yeah. <laughs> pretty much, yeah, yeah. <laughs> until last Sunday. <laughs> until last Sunday, yeah. Um, um, and so I grew up, uh, in, as I said, in between the two, uh, city life and very idyllic rural life. My, I had three sisters and my father, my mother died when we were very small, which is the reason why we were, you know, splitting our life between Dublin and Tipperary. So, uh, happy, happy childhood apart from, you know, knowing grief quite young, but, uh, yeah. Um, so when you, when you were younger, at the age of like, uh, nine or ten, you were in primary school in Dublin. In Dublin. Yeah. And, uh, when you finished that, you went off to college, you went to? Trinity. Ah, right. And from there you did Sorry? And what you did in Trinity? Um, well, I had a mixed career. I studied uh, maths and physics first, and then I transferred to uh, drama and sociology. So, <laughs> Look, this whole interview is going to be a long line of disasters and oh, no, no, hiccups. No, no, <laughs> on my life, I mean. He started with physics and then moved to philosophy. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, yeah. it's not yeah, uh, I, mine was, I mean, I, if I have any regrets, I regret not sticking with the physics and maths because it was a real true love of mine, but my father died in my first year in university and chaos descended. And so I, both your parents died and you were quite young. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. it's pretty tough, but you know, it's good, good learning about life and uh, probably make you a... And how many siblings did you have? I have three sisters, including a twin. Oh, really? Yeah. Identical? No, no. Okay. Quite different, for sure. We're all very close. Okay. And what, is, what does she want to do? She is actually now a psychologist, or studied psychology and is working in youth services, but uh, at one point she was an accountant and was working in the film business as well, so... Wow. Or an accounts assistant, yeah, so... Okay. So, when you went from the, uh, the maths and physics, you went into drama? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so... Trying to for four years. No, and and then continuing the story of disasters, I I didn't finish my degree. I I I think once once my dad died, there was a lot of hiccups, and I just kind of never kind of got back on on the straight and narrow again. So although it turned out okay, because I I left because I got a job as a trainee assistant editor. So it kind of you know like a lot of things in life, it led it led into really interesting, nice place anyway so yeah, yeah. maybe we're, 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 I don't believe in fate but you know I mean, maybe just things happen and that's they have to be embraced maybe I mean it, it seems to have worked out quite well for yeah, so yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, how did you get that how did you get into editing I know the job was offered to you but yeah I was um, I wanted to work in film from school after I eventually gave up my desire to become an astronaut I decided to work in film very random um, but I didn't want to do a regular film course um, I wanted to do, well I wanted to do a degree in maths and physics but as I said I lost the plot there a bit, but um, uh, so I was, I was doing a regular degree in Trinity, between the, the two variations, 
and got involved in the Trinity Film Society. And um, very early days, and they were making a, a short film, and I just started working on that, um, just as continuity or something. And uh, it was being cut by an editor who was then an editor in RTE, who subsequently became a freelance editor. And I loved the editing, just absolutely fell in love with it from the first day I started it. So. And what did you love about it? It just seemed so creative and flexible and challenging and inspiring and the way everything was so um, capable of being you know turned around and looked at from so many different angles I just thought it was thrillingly elastic and eclectic and you know I just loved it I thought it was really I just and I, I fell into it really feeling that I could find a find a voice in it find a way to um, express myself so he offered me a job as a trainee and uh, that's how I started. And you weren't in Trinity around the same time as Lenny, were you? Yes, actually he was, we were both on the same maths physics course but I'm not sure if it was the same year or similar years. But, similar years, yeah. okay. okay. But I didn't really know him in Trinity, no. Trinity's kind of, like I knew the people in uh, Players, that's the Theatre Society yeah. and I knew the people in Film Base and I knew the, or the Film Society and the science fiction society <laughs> in the math department, but you know, you actually kind of don't meet people in, in other courses, or at least I didn't. But that's brilliant that Lenny and yourself would have been at the same time. And I was also like Ed Guiney was there as well, that's and Richard yeah. Cook, and yeah, Alan Gelson. Yeah. It's quite a mix. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then you uh, went to uh, Trinity yeah. Uh, yeah. Um Where did that take you? Well, you started off on like short films or feature films? Or? Yeah, uh, documentaries and feature films. I worked on, one of the first films I worked on was Bob Quinn's film, Budawani. I worked on The Road to God Knows Where, a documentary. You know, I worked on a number of things, just training up. And actually, that was a time when editors took on assistant editors and trainee assistant editors and actually brought them through um, all the way. You know, so you got yeah. to work on all different types of things via one editor's influence. That's not quite the style that happens now, but I was very fortunate, got to work on great stuff, and then ultimately was trained, or you know, worked as assistant editor with Shay Mary Doyle, who's a fantastic, inspirational editor. I worked with him for a number of years, and really felt that I learned you know, what it was all about, what editing, the power of editing. Would you say you learned more doing that than you would have done anything in college? more about editing definitely yeah, but you know I, I said I, I, if I have a tiny regret in my life is that I didn't finish my degree just because I I think I did experience a bit of mind expansion in the two years I was there the three years I was there uh, that I'm sorry it didn't continue but you know life takes over and various things happen and I love my work and I love the journey I've taken and uh, maybe I'll do my physics degree when I'm 85 or something well, I'm going back to my certain history this year. Oh, so, you? Yeah. Well, then you're an inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Uh, you work as both a drama and documentary editor. Yes. Um, are you unusual in that regard? Um, not in Ireland. No? No. Um, a lot of editors. Ireland, maybe it's because it's a small pool of creatives, um, People tend to can move between the different disciplines. I've worked in London. I worked in London for a long time, and it's much more restrictive. You know, you're either drama or documentary. In fact, you're either 
documentary or television or features, you know, so, and there's very strict demarcation and people find it very hard to move between the disciplines. I've never found that here. It seems to be very open. But certainly for me, uh, although I, I did meet an editor recently who works mostly in documentaries trying to get into drama, and he said it was quite difficult to, to jump over, but I, that's not been my experience. And maybe that's because I, I've always just done both all the time, so... This has become part of nature that you just yeah. get used yeah. to. Yeah, and I'm also, you know, I'll probably, you know, it's possibly too strong to say that I do engineer some of that, but I do like to mix them up. So if I've done two dramas in a row, I'll probably find myself nosing out a feature doc, you know, just to try to use that muscle again, you know, because... Just to mix it up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is, there, um, is there a huge difference between the two? Quite a bit, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, very literally, there's no script in a feature doc or, you know, a, a, there's no literal scene-by-scene scene script, you know, there'll probably be a narrative or a basic story arc, but you really are creating the story and the, the narrative and the drive in the cut and responding to the material you have and the material that was shot, the interviews that were given. Obviously, drama has a whole other discipline, which is that the story and the structure, or at least the idealised version or the first version, does exist. So you're kind of serving it for at least a portion of the cut, you know, and then throw it out a little and start over. So, Also, the editor has a, quite a lot of freedom in documentary, uh, that perhaps not so much in, in drama. Katie, sorry, go ahead. So are you, do you enjoy that? Or it, it sounds a little bit like acting. You, you use the word responding to the material. Is it reliant on instincts? Or, you know, how do you find a starting point then when you're editing documentary? I think, I mean, an editor stands and fall, falls on their instinct, you know, on their taste, on their first response. That's all really you've got, and it's particularly um, turned on in documentary because there is nowhere else to go apart from I see it and I feel it and I, I act on it, you know, and that's the start point. And, you know, if you're lucky and your taste and the director producer's taste are in sync, you know, and the story, you know, just flows from that, it's fantastic. Obviously, there are other issues, there could be other issues where there are misfires on that level. And does a conversation happen generally with the director as to what he is looking for? Is, is that your starting point? Or? Yeah, like some, so, you know, every, well, certainly in feature documentaries, there can be a range of them, you know, obdocs, which is the observational documentary style that you don't necessarily have a lot of conversations about that because you really are just mining the material that you get, you know, and trying to find the story in there and the best use of it or the best way to tell it, you know, so it's a very hands-on everyone there trying to react to it in the immediacy that you have it. Some of the feature documentaries might be a little bit more, might have a little bit more poetry, you know, like a, a bigger arc to them where a director will have a, a position on a feeling or, you know, a, a references like an Errol Morris type style or something, you know, where you'll be coming at it from a maybe a different angle. But response, like taste, response, instinct there. They're the catchphrases okay. of, of every day. In drama too. Okay. What do you feel is your um, particular skill set? What makes you stand above the rest? Well, I don't. Or I, what are your strengths as an editor? 
I'm, I think my strengths are... Um, so it's a very interesting question. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think I stand above... Yeah, I do you're applying for a job. <laughs> and, uh, um, I feel I'm very open and I'm very inquisitive and um, I'm kind of contrary and, you know, I, I won't... I'll kind of hunt down a solution, you know, I'll... I'll take it home with me and think about it for a week. You know, a lot of editors would be very, very tenacious. I'd be very tenacious, just feel that the solutions are in there and frequently on films I'd kind of dream a solution. You know, like I have a lot of... I've had a number of those instances where I, I can't figure something out and then I'll dream the answer. You know, so I think I do have a... I become very immersed in it, very immersed in the stories and the characters. Very... Just stay kind of curious and, and, and inquisitive and... Just love, just love investigating, interrogating the material in drama or documentary for its, uh, with its that, jewels. With that in mind, then, do you um, do you go on set quite a bit? I uh, used to, but I don't so much anymore. Okay. Uh, is there any reason, or is it just? Yeah, I, I used to just enjoy it, and and you know, um, you learn some stuff when you do go. You learn stuff about the director, which you know, a lot of the journey in a. Dr- in an edit is to get to know the director, you know, to get to know their taste, their instincts, all the stuff that make them tick. So going on set was a way of kind of, you know, ploughing that field a little, you know, just getting to see them in action, getting to see what they said to the actors on the day, what they said to the cinematographer on the day. But then I started feeling, over time, I started feeling that actually I was, I was a better servant of the film if I was a little um, more detached from the process because I was able to see it a little bit more clearly in the cut, just as, you know, uninfected images, you know, so I, I, yeah, exactly, which, which is your role, you know, which is your job, so little things like I, I didn't carry stuff into the cutting room then that it took them two hours to do that shot, so I better use it, or that this is the shape of the room, you know, the hall door is over there, you know, yeah. I, I didn't have any of those, that information, so I'd be looking at the shot, the frame, the, you know, purely bald, you know. Yeah, so. you have to look at it. Yeah, we, you know, and so maybe, and maybe that was a kind of a pain in the ass kind of response, but it was a good thing. You're a bit more colder and fresher, all the good stuff, you know, but you're able to just see it as your audience are going to see it. So. There's pros and cons for both. Yeah, yeah. Um, can you tell us about collaborating with John Murray? Yeah. Um, what was I, I, I've only struck up a friendship collaboration uh, work relationship with John in the last few years, and uh, initially we were just uh, director-editor, or director-producer-editor, but we got on so well, we just, you know, talking, you know, we're very complimentary, we're a very complimentary pairing of art, of creators, you know. So he asked me, we did a number of films, as I said, I edited, and then he asked me to co-direct a feature doc with him two years ago. And, uh, Which was Here Was Cuba. Here Was Cuba, yeah. And uh, we just got along famously, you know, he just brings a, a skill set that's the opposite, equal and opposite to mine, and... Uh, we're we're uh, you know very very happy and collaborative pair and uh, we're developing other projects now and just had a meeting with BBC I was telling you last week yeah, yeah so Great. hoping to make another one next year. That was your first time directing. Mm, it was my first time to make directing documentary. Okay. I had directed um, a number of uh, drama short films and an RT TV series, but I, uh, did, that was my first time directing documentary, which was kind of curious because I've edited loads of documentary. Uh, and it never occurred to me to direct documentary until I did it. And then everyone said, all my friends and family were going, 
you should have been doing this all along. And it's like, I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm political and I'm opinionated and, you know, so it just seemed like a perfect marriage, but I was, I couldn't see. <laughs> Where did the idea come from? The Heroes Cube idea. It was John's idea. Um, we, we had made a film uh, that was in, that was doing really great in America at a number of film festivals, a wildlife film about a tiger. And he just ran into, just fortuitous, ran into um, uh, one of the controllers at PBS. And uh, she loved Broken Tail, which was the Tiger film. And she just said, what do you want to do next? And he said, oh, you know, it's nothing about nature. And she said, well, what is it? And he said, Cuban Missile Crisis. And she said, let's do it. <laughs> so it was just like one of those fantastic bumps into. And uh, yeah. So he, then he approached me and. I mean, I'm not. <laughs> I thought about it because I said it had never occurred to me to direct documentary, but uh, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. What did you love about it? You're completely free, you know. You are literally making the story up as a director. Yeah, you know, and I cut it as well, so that was interesting. There was no. Um, I I hope on the next one that I'll direct it and someone else will cut it, but I'm not sure. Okay. How I, I would really, I would relish that. I would, really? I, yeah. You need somebody there yeah. to kill your babies. And yeah, yeah. You Challenge you and to query you. And, yeah. and then the difference, just jumping back a little bit, um, as an editor, working as an editor, how does that inform your approach to directing? Or does it? Is it helpful? I had to make a, I certainly did, um, on Here Was Cuba, make a very definite decision not to direct like an editor, you know, you know, to go into the edit, to go into the directing side of it like a director would, which is a kind of a, I'll just shoot what I feel like and someone else can kind of figure it out, you know, like that. Yeah. I was trying not to go in thinking, oh, I better not shoot that because I'll never use it or, you know, how will that fit into the story, you know, so I was trying to do, I think what my directors do, which is just be totally open to what comes. So I... That's how it informed it in a good way. Mm-hmm. I'd say on the other side of it, then we were shooting and editing simultaneously, or at least you know we'd, we'd shoot a bit, cut a bit, shoot a bit, and so then the edit was informing the the shooting in a really nice way. You know that I was learning a lot when I was cutting what I'd already shot, yeah. and informing the next pass, the, the next phase of the shoot. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this is a. Maybe this is a really actor-centric question. Um, you hear of directors who shoot like loads of takes or just three takes. Or what for you is better as an editor? You know, is it when you if you get a, a mass of one scene, is that really hard to kind of look? You know, loads of material, loads of coverage is mm-hmm. fantastic. Okay. If you've got the time. Okay. Yeah. To go through it to. And is that reliant on budget then? Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and documentaries and drama are both the same. Loads of coverage, loads of options, loads of things to both see them, take them all in, absorb them, try them out. It's only, it's only wonderful if you've got that time to do that. If you don't have the time either, you know, in the, sh- like, in the shoot. So, for example, on documentary, um, somebody asked me to cut something a few years ago, uh, and they, there was like a six-week cut, which is very short for a feature documentary. And they had shot for like, you know, six months on DV. You know, they had a million tapes. And I said, oh, well, but like, I won't even have enough time to view the tapes. Never mind, edit. And he said, oh, don't worry, I'll tell you where all the good bits are. 
And then I said, but like, then why do you need me? Like, you know, I'm actually, the only use I'll be to you is if I've seen everything, I've absorbed everything, and I can actually work as a second voice, a second narrative, you know, driving, coming up with solutions from material I've seen. So time is the essence. And actually editing, a lot of people don't realize this, but editing is just a function of time. You know, if you do get to cut something for a long time, it really will yield goodies that you didn't see 10 weeks earlier, you know. And, and um, average how long would you have for a, a feature documentary or a feature? Feature film, for example, I'm starting a feature next week. It's a five-week cut during which I'll be editing. And then the current plan is for maybe a 12-week post edit picture edit post that I suspect that's that will run on they often they'll end a picture edit post production could be anything from 12 to 20 weeks you know depending on if you're doing test screenings pickups have narrative problems all that you know so um, and where do you do that work where do you where do you work um, I I go wherever the in Dublin these days most editing happens in a number of post-production houses that are in Dublin like Screen Scene or Windmill Lane and frequently the editor comes on board when those deals are already done so you'll just be parachuted into a cutting room with an assistant and you know that, that wasn't the in the past that wasn't the way frequently editors came with their own gear or got set up in Ardmore with a you know a standalone machine and an avid or, or and an assistant How important is the assistant? Hugely important. To, to your, like, do you have to know the person in and out and know what way they want you want things done, or is it? Not necessarily, but that would be better. <laughs> <laughs> but, like it's changed a bit, and I feel awful sorry for assistant editors these days. Um, as I said, when I was training, you got a job if you were really lucky with an editor or with a, two editors. Maybe you rotated between a few people, and they trained you in their style, what they liked, what they didn't like, but they also let you be involved in, which is the meat and potatoes of editing, which is the relationship with the director, the relationship with the film, the cuts progressing and regressing and all that advancement. Assistant editors now mostly come out of post-production houses. They're attached to those houses. They're not out in the universe. And they learn an awful lot about the technology and the gizmos and the plug-ins, but they actually don't get to experience the film, you know, the process of a film through the cut, from responding to rushes to talking to people to assemblies, you know, like a huge amount of editing is about relationships, it's about managing people, it's about managing expectations, about responding to contrary notes, you know, edits going through all the phases they go through. And assistant editors tragically now don't get to experience all that. So it is a terrible shame because I'm a much better editor from having been an assistant editor sitting at the back of a room watching an editor and a director and a producer figure stuff out, yeah. you know? Not only their the material, but their relationships to each other, how to... You, you know, everything. Exactly, you, I saw it all, and it all informs how I work now and how I'm able to, you know... Because things don't always go smoothly. Sometimes there are different ways of seeing things, you know, when you're trying to, like anyone, you're trying to, uh, you know, manage those situations. Conflict or tears. <laughs> <laughs> um, going back to uh, Here Was Cuba, um, how much research did you have to put into it? Yeah, a huge amount of research. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because there's, like, it's a, it's a, um, a story that would uh, 
people do it for years in college, you know, like it's a very knotted complex. Yeah, exactly, it's huge. So I read a huge amount of books and we had a specialised archive researcher who was doing millions of archive research. We had another film researcher researching all the various people. We had. We were interviewing people in the US and in Cuba and in Russia, so we had a whole phalanx of people that were kind of doing translations and, you know, all, so a lot of research and a lot of, you know, you really want to get it right, and but not to be too safe, you know, so you have to take some positions as well and, you know, stick yeah. your neck out a little, so, you know. And Ted Sorensen, uh, he, he was JFK's advisor during that period? Yeah. You interviewed him before he died. I actually didn't, would you believe? Um, that was a, a before I came on the film, two years earlier, they had sent um, the original team that were, were going to be involved, because these documentaries often change over time, you know, like they take so long to get moving. There was an initial team that were going to do it, and they had done an initial round of interviews. And brilliantly and fortuitously, they had interviewed Ted Sorensen, who okay. tragically died maybe within months of that interview. So if they hadn't filmed it, we wouldn't have had him then when we came to make the film three years later. So, yeah, sadly I never got to meet him. Because, I mean, the the immediacy of his experience must have... And you you did get access to a lot of information that had just come available. Yeah, there's been a lot lot of material that had been declassified over the last five or six years, so... And what, in in everywhere, in Cuba as well, and Russia, you know, so it was like, the, there was a lot of new material that was floating. And what discoveries did you make about that period that surprised you? I mean, it was a very, I don't think we quite grasp now how... Tense it, how, yeah, on a yeah. knife edge, yeah. Um, the sort of thing you read back just in history books, kind of think to yourself, oh, it's a, a near catastrophe, but nothing actually happened, so... But, but the... Am I right in saying that the so the bombs that were dropped on Nagasaki, what Cuba had was multiples, many, many multiples. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it was extremely tense, and I think I think what I learned was literally how came, close it came. I thought that it had been a little bit of one of those things you got told in school. You know, it was oh, very tense. We were we were interviewing people who were like one of the submarines commanders that we interviewed was literally saying it. You know, it was seconds away. And they were out of contact with Moscow and, you know, they turned left instead of right, they depressed it. And they didn't have any issue with that. They were going, that would have been just war, you know. So it was, it was really interesting to see. Mm-hmm. But also really interesting to see um, that the, the human face of it, you know. There was a lot of kind of, the, sub, the main submarine story that came out that caused a lot of the, the discussion about the film was to do with that the commander had given the instruction to, to launch the missile, to arm it anyway but got stuck in the hatch going down because somebody else was trying to come up with a lamp, you know, and so the, there was this kind of human element to it, which is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous and terrifying. Um, and when you, I mean, like when you consider what's happening now, did your experience of working on that film, how do you view, you know, because we're, we're at, Quite tense at the moment. Yeah, you, you come to appreciate um, the, the human element, you know, that if it hadn't been Kennedy, if it hadn't been Khrushchev, you know, that I think there would have been different personalities 
standing there okay. would have, you know, would have, it would have gone a different way. Kennedy had the Bay of Pigs. Sorry, this is very complicated. Uh, I'm sure it's overly detailed historically, but the Bay of Pigs had gone. Had been only a year earlier, and Kennedy had lost all trust in the military mm-hmm. and they in him. So. A year later, then, when the Cuban Missile Crisis was kicking off, there was a lot of, you know, they weren't listening to each other. Yeah. Whereas perhaps a different president had been, the, the military were like, blitz it, bomb it, set it on fire, you know. So another president who hadn't been through that a year earlier, you know, perhaps in the positive, Kennedy was extremely uh, open, but in the negative, it might have been a, you know, a, an alpha male response to what had gone on, you know. So it does make you think about people you know that you want you do you want george bush with his finger on that button at this moment in time or would you want obama or you know whoever you know yeah, yeah. you do realize that element yeah well, it's crazy what you said that it's just there's so many small tiny variables in it that could have just um, i suppose drastically nearly changed the world as way we see it now if somebody just went left instead of right or something and like one of the stories in it uh is one of my favorite scenes in the film was uh, totally unrelated a, a guy had gone up to measure um, some radiations in the atmosphere you know and he hadn't gotten the, the memo or whatever not to go up you know and he wandered into Soviet airspace and the Soviets launched all their MiGs to, to take him out you know and he just about made it back over into Alaskan airspace before they caught up with him and it was just literally an error you know a, stupidity you know and uh, could have all gone off and I think Kennedy made that famous line about there's always one son of a bitch who doesn't get the word you know so and it was that kind of feeling of God, oh, you know and, it was <laughs> and actually and it was amazing literally with that. yeah because I, I showed the film at a film festival in, or at a, a university screening in Cork and all the historians I met down there they were, they were just entertaining me for hours afterwards over cheap wine about you know, all the near misses in history. And I, yeah. just, you know, I was white, I couldn't sleep with my <laughs> The challenges in working as a freelance creative in the film industry? What are the challenges? <laughs> Quite apart from feeling every job finishes, you'll never work again, so how I pay my mortgage? Um, I think that's art in general. What are the challenges? I don't know, challenge, not challenges, joys and adventures, you know? It's... Uh, it's a wonderful experience just to be on new adventures, new stories all the time. You know, every six months I'm doing a different type of... I'm in a different genre, I'm in a different place, you know, with different people, with different access to grind, stories to tell, you know, I find it... Uh, Have you ever found it difficult? Ever, like, actually, a question you ask about people that's very difficult to about giving up? Uh, n- no, although I did stop... Uh, a number of years ago, um, I took a sabbatical. Okay. Um, I'm trying to recall, was I thinking of giving up or no? I just think I needed to, a bit like that earlier conversation about a palate cleanse. I just think I needed to, you know, shake out some of the. And maybe, what did you do on your sabbatical? I, I, I did a bit of writing and I did, and I minded my cats. <laughs> my sick cat. <laughs> I actually, I just did a bit of uh, good old-fashioned soul-searching, you know, and yeah. uh, came back then with a renewed yeah. energy, yeah, and, and a different energy. attachment. So I, don't, I can't recall now if I was thinking of giving up or if I just needed uh, to shake it out a little and, you know. Editing can be long and tough and 
your long days and nights in dark rooms and quite solitary. Yeah, and, and you know, very, very intense and very, very can be quite challenging and you know, things all the wonderful sides of editing is how fluid it is, how much it changes and some of the downsides of that as well, you know, that there's you know, the ever changing nature of every film. You know, sometimes maybe you just run out of steam. I literally can't remember, did I? <laughs> it actually coincided with a, a personal tragedy in my life, so I just needed a bit of out, out time. But no, and, and you know, I'm glad I had the time and I'm glad I had the sabbatical. I'd be a big fan of it if you've got the money or if you know you've got the capacity to do it because um, art, uh, you know, creative life needs a lot of fuel, you know, <laughs> it needs creative fuel from other people, it needs movies, seeing other people's movies, going to the theatre, reading books listening to music, walking on beaches, but it needs also different experiences, you know, pull away from it, start running, do something else, you know, so that you've, you're, you're full up again, you're, you've you're recharged, you and you've also maybe then got something else to offer, you know. Are you busy? Feels like a busy time at the moment. Yeah, well, I'm busy, yeah, I'm busy at the moment. I just had a busy summer, and I'm about to start film uh, next week, uh, the week after next, yeah, with, um, it's the... My name is Emily. That's oh, been okay. Directed by Simon Fitzmaurice. Yes. They're, 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 no, they're starting to shoot starting. Into, in on the 15th. Okay, yeah. That's, yeah. that's great. Yeah. It's a brilliant film, it's a brilliant script, and Simon's an amazing person to meet and really inspirational, yeah. and I think it'll be a great adventure. Brilliant. Yeah. Um. Uh, sorry, have you particular projects that you're uh, particularly proud of? Is there anything in particular you go? And we know, and congratulations on winning yes. uh, Eurythmus. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so yeah. for them, you must be yeah. extremely proud of. But is there anyone that, or any few that you go to say to yourself, that was great? It worked. Is there even one that maybe just didn't get the uh, accreditation that you think it possibly deserved? Yeah. Uh, no, you know, I'll come to that question second. Okay. <laughs> the, I'd say I'm, I really enjoyed the last two films I did, the, when I, I did Patrick's Day at the end of last year, or last year, and I really enjoyed that, and um, I'm very proud of it, I think it's a, it's a fine piece of art, you know, I think it's a very robust, energetic, you know, visceral experience, and, and, and voice that's in that debate about mental health, and, and life, and control, and love, and all those things, and I'm very proud of my work in it, and I, I, there's one particular scene in it I love, you know, so, and Terry and I had a great relationship, so I really enjoyed that, and then, kind of just after it, I did a, a film, a documentary called One Million Dubliners, uh, about uh, Glasnevin Cemetery, which um, was on in Galway and won Best Documentary, or shared the Best Documentary Prize in Galway this year, and I'm really proud of that as well, I think, I, I really enjoyed that, we had, you know, really extraordinary experience making it, so... Uh, both of those, like, but they're they're a bit recent, so maybe my brain is very, <laughs> very short attention span <laughs> in terms of pride. Well, no, I mean, like, Patrick says is in extremely well at the moment. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. I, mean, um, I think last time I checked, Terry's in um, Terry's in Boston at the moment, I believe. Um, I know there's I know something to do with blue balls in Boston. That's I what I didn't understand. understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I know the, the the film was picked as. Finder series. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's really yeah, it's huge. And if it does for Terry what it did for Jeremy Iron last year. Be fantastic. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Brilliant. yeah. Oh good. Amazing. He's an amazing actor. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. So and I think you know, I you know, maybe it's as it's as simple as when you're 
suddenly finished on something or if something that has gone very well, you feel all that bursting pride or it's about to be shown to people, you know, so you're lo I'm look forward to that, um, that you know, that, that engagement with people's response to it, like hearing what you thought of Patrick say, whatever, you know, I love all that. And uh, so I don't know, the second question about is this something that I felt never got the attention it deserved? It's very interesting because I, um, I think they go, I think the films go through their lives and have their lives and then are seen at the other end or not. And that's just, that's just the process, you know, that's just how art either hits or doesn't hit or strikes a chord or, you know, so frequently you, even if a film isn't being seen or doesn't get a release or something, as the editor, you'll end up talking about it a lot anyway. You'll get a lot of emails and feedback, you know, so I... That's, that's the part of it also. But yeah, I mean, sometimes, are there films that I haven't been proud of my work on? Yes. Are there films that, you know, I regret things about? Yeah, of course, you know, because that's the challenge of a creative life, that you, you're also able to look at your failings and your mistakes and your... Fail better. Exactly, yeah. you know, you'd be an idiot if you were thinking everything I touch is amazing and, you know, I shouldn't have done anything differently. Of course, it's the nature of editing has changed and it's littered with <laughs> mistakes, <laughs> trust me. Of your contemporaries, then, are there editors whose work you really admire? Um, yeah, well, it, it sounds a bit cheesy now, but I, uh, my husband, Tony Cranston, is a, an amazing editor and long before I married and met, met him, married him, I was a huge fan of his work. He had uh, he cut the royal family and queer as folk. A lot of these big seminal BBC dra or British TV dramas, and uh, I always thought he had a particular style, a kind of a perverse, delay the close up kind of style. So he, he claims he doesn't, but I had seen it in a number of stuff. So I always admired his work and still do. Um, I love Nathan Nugent's editing. He's he's based here and. Uh, Another documentary editor called Ray Rowntree. I don't know, would you know him? But he's uh, fantastic. But you know, a lot of it's hard as well, you know, out in the bigger world to admire people or to say that particular editor because their editing by its nature is supposed to be site specific, you know, project specific. So you probably shouldn't have a style or a visible style. Although I've never had any major issue with that idea that editing needs to be invisible or out of the way. You know, I quite like editing. That's in your face or provocative or you know but um you know i think if you see a film that you like and the feelings and the vibe and the whole experience it's probably really well edited so you know yeah. they're, they're just a link aren't they yeah. although as i said i saw that film last week it was terribly badly cut and it didn't matter at all i also saw a drama last week uh, i don't know if you've seen it lock oh yeah I thought it was very badly edited as well, but it didn't matter at all. I just loved the story, loved the character, you know, so... Editing doesn't matter. No, no, it's not. Actually, I saw a lot. Editing might matter. And doesn't matter. What's the intro? The editing for me in the film, I don't think came in, but the story was great. The story was very good. Isn't it interesting? You know? Yeah. I won't say on his own because he's not on his own, but... Don't give it away. Yeah, yeah. But no, that is... He's great in that. Yeah, your biggest influences, which you've already gone through. Um, have you ever collaborated with your husband? No, but I, you know, I'd like to try and track him down to cut my Voyager project if he was uh, agreeable. You're Sorry, my Voyager project is the documentary that we're hoping to make next oh, about the Voyager space probes. Voyager. Voyager space probes. They were these two little craft that were launched in 1977, and they're both sailing off into uh, 
wobbly under still. One still. of them one of them has passed outside of the boundary of our solar system now and is the first man made object into interstellar space. So yeah, it's, so it's we're trying to make a film about that. Huge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a big story. There's no archive. Interstellar <laughs> space. Yeah. That's new information. Space between stars, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'd hope to get Tony to cut that if he was game, but documentaries often spread out all over like two years, you know, so yeah, yeah. I mightn't be able to, I might, I might end up cutting it myself. It's pretty busy yourself, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, the best and worst advice you've been given? Not even in terms of the industry, just in general. The best advice and the worst advice I've been given? Um... Best advice, well, it probably is to do with the business, but to do with editing. Somebody told me long, long, long time ago to, um, that the best, the way to be a good editor was just to live a lot, you know, okay. to read a lot, dance a lot, walk on cliffs, you know, just do stuff that fills up your, your experience of life. I know. was given that note in college. Yeah. I was called in and they were like, Kate, what do you do outside of college? Mean. <laughs> yeah. I think it's you know, I really think it's true like if I was looking for influences in my life to do with editing or to do with directing writing whatever it would all be to do with yeah I took up skydiving and I, I walked in you know go to amazing places experience things talk to people listen to lots of music you know so just keep broadening your horizons that's something actually when you're editing um, the soundtrack have you do you have that at that point? No. No. We, we often create a, a kind of a, a, you, you would often edit to music from other films, like okay. call it a temp score. So you'd bring in music from films in the style thereof right, or right. that have a musical style that you're looking for, that you're going to explore. So obviously that's, a, a, you know, it's reductive in the sense that you're taking stuff that already exists and then it's tough on the composer because then they're asked to kind of do it like that or you know this is the kind of vibe so sometimes directors like to not do that and just give the the composer a blank canvas mm -hmm. but actually that's becoming harder and harder because you go through the whole process in editing of test screenings and showing the film to audiences and to funders and all and people find it hard to respond to something that's not complete or not kind of complete you know so music is a big part of that you know that you set the tone you show you know you tap into the mood with or, or even a drama sequence or, you know, tension and all that. You know, music is, carries, does an awful lot of the, the workload of that. So we do bring in a lot of score from other films and then the composer replaces or... And if you're lucky, the composer will be working during the cut. So that dialogue will start quite early. Okay, and so you'll take out the temp stuff and start okay. putting in the composer's voice quite early. Okay. So I read an article recently with uh, Christopher Nolan, he's apparently... Yeah, yeah. But they've worked together so yeah, many times, but yeah. it's been like, this is what it's about, you know, go do your thing. My ideal would be to have the music before ever, oh, yeah, because yeah. yeah, I just think then you'll, you'll make a finer, finer film, but, um, <laughs> like, the composers that I normally work with kind of 
laughs and says, what do I do, like a fast bit and a slow bit and a, a, mo- a moody bit, <laughs> you know, a tense bit. And, you know, so it's kind of, it's, it's ridiculous because I yeah, suppose yeah. it is going to be What's scene that? specific. I mean, I think, that, you know, a lot of people, whenever you talk to people though, when they listen to, to music or songs, that they, you know, they imagine a certain moment or a certain thing in time. So I imagine that that's why we're asking is that if, you know, um, you're giving the soundtrack beforehand because as an editor you could go, with that music that it absolutely over. inspires where you might spring yeah, yeah, yeah. to yeah yeah I would love it although I, I remember Lance Daly saying I, th- I think it was Lance saying that he thought that if you had the score initially that you'd be tired of it by the time you finished the cut you know you wouldn't be hearing it as a a fresh with fresh ears you know that you'd have you'd have gone through your phase of loving it <laughs> and out the other end into, oh, it's all so old, you know. So it's interesting. I don't, I don't actually know the answer. And I've never had the experience of having the score before or, or rarely even during, you know. Often the poor composer's doing it after picture lock, which is uh, with a ticking clock and a, 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 and a score that already exists. You know, you've used yeah. the, score, the soundtrack from Moon and the soundtrack from, you know, all these amazing things and yeah, yeah, the composer has that. to ape it or be as good as that or better. Which would be incredibly tough. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, your worst, sorry, go ahead. Your worst advice. I can't think of that. Oh, I don't... Worst advice... And we ask people these questions and then you're like, God, if I had to answer that. Well, you take just as much time as well because you're really thinking about Because people will go, eh, I don't know the worst place is, but I haven't given some pretty crappy advice. So, you know, trying to figure out what was the worst thing. <laughs> oh, I couldn't. I buying my house. Me. No, I couldn't. Buying my house at the height of the uh, boom. <laughs> How does that work? It's, I think that's pretty high up. Yeah. yeah. Universe yeah. Um, your favourite films? Have you films that you kind of just return to on a rainy afternoon? Uh, I have. Um, I have a, a you know a sneaky science fiction habit, mm-hmm. which I don't come clean about often. <laughs> I love like it loves old. I like Aliens and Blade Runner, and I like recent sci-fi like um, Under the Skin. Yeah. Honest, when you said uh, your project Voyager, I immediately was just like, just Star Trek. Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> like, all the Trekkies on this podcast are like, what? What did the documentary? And it's actually really funny. We actually have had to not call the, the film Project Voyager because every single person we voted to was like, huh? <laughs> 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 yeah, okay. I love Voyager. I'm Deep Space Nine. And like, uh, no, 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 no. No, it's not that. So no, we don't. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I love sci-fi I love um, like recently I've loved um, Upstream Colour and I love Nick Rogue I love all the early you know Don't Look Now and uh, Black Bad Timing okay. I love European films I love the Dardenne Brothers okay. famous nicest film I saw in the last few years or nicest is the wrong word because it's very dark and tragic it's a Norwegian film called Oslo 31st of August no one has seen and no one has heard of, but it was a masterpiece. Films I'd return to. If I had to, like, if I had to watch one tonight, I'd probably. I love The Graduate. I love Ordinary People. I love um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. 
I couldn't go through that. Oh, could you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had the exact opposite. I had the same holes in my jacket as something that's one when I had Brad Dereef up in Peril. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's up there for me. Yeah. Not quite my favourite, but it's definitely up there. So, yeah. Again, favourite film changes, doesn't it? All yeah, the time. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And, and when you're put on the spot, you're like, I can't even remember the films I've seen, you know? Um, and you remember film like I can remember films I saw last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw night moves. Oh, I saw night moves. Have you seen that? No. It's really strong. It's really really good. It's in the Nighthouse and uh, the Rover. Heard it's great. Yeah, it's heard fantastic it's as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a very exciting time. There's lots of really cute odd little films coming out. Yeah. And you've got actors kind of trying to, you know, because Robert Patterson and. Rankin, stretching their muscles yeah, a little. Yeah, but it yeah. does make for really interesting casting. Yeah, know, yeah, just, yeah. Great too. That is true. But the rover, you mm-hmm. look at it and you think, I don't know how they come up with this cast. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. even know who dreamed this yeah. up. But it's really, it's a really interesting chemistry. And of course, what makes a good film, you know, it's alchemy, it's yeah. chemistry, yeah. it's yeah. some, the something that yeah. fires or doesn't fire. Yeah. Something we ask everybody um, over the last few years. more people have been getting into television than they have in film. Do you agree? Uh, in Ireland or? No, I think... Oh, sorry. Ones, I mean, more people watching television. More people... Well, I think more uh, investing in television shows like, you know, Breaking Bad mm. and Sprannels and True Detective and that. Do you think that's going to continue or do you think that that's actually happening now or there's always going to be a place for film? I think, you know, I, I, I think what people are attracted to in terms of, let's say, Breaking Bad or True Detective is... They're liking the the story playing out over a long scale. You know that maybe I know film can have a big story, big big scale, but actually the idea of something you returning to the well over and over again over two or three years. I think certainly that's what I like about those big dramas. You know, yeah. The Wire. You know, stuff that so there's a lot to be mined. There's a lot to be learned. There's a lot to be explored over time in your life. Film is a different type of experience, isn't it? It's more it's a more densely packed yeah. explosion. I think film's biggest challenge is to do with cinema. Like people aren't going to the cinema when they go there. They want those kind of big explosion type movies, you know, that are that are just kind of these visceral gamey kind of events as opposed to like I went to, we went to see um, something in the lighthouse about two weeks ago and we were the only two people in the cinema. It was like a six o'clock showing on a Wednesday, you know. So no, it wasn't a good film. So maybe that was the reason that People aren't going, you know, and, and, and so I, maybe film has to do some other work to do with what that's about, you know, because... And I think it's, a, you know, audiences and people in general have to meet them halfway, you know. We have become very home-centred in our... Yeah, life. we're just ourselves and our iPhone, yeah. and, you know, we don't need community, yeah. yeah. I, I, that was, I think that, the fact that most people have 40, 42-inch televisions now, yeah. they have some experience in their own home and if they're lucky enough somebody will have pirated a DVD that they can draw on the internet and put them over for free yeah so they don't need to go, so to, the need to, go to the cinema yeah what if they had Brown Thomas give free vouchers <laughs> <laughs> win a car I don't know <laughs> find some way to lure me any, any way to get me well I suppose that's the way 3 has been brought back as well it's all gimmicks isn't it's it and stuff yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm taking the essence of something like gravity, and gravity is incredible, it really works so yeah. well, but I could really just say get rid of it. Yeah. Gravity is the only film I've ever seen in 3D. The only film? Yeah. Oh, you picked a real one. Yeah. It is great. Well, I was in you space, know. wasn't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just felt like I was in space for an hour. I was like, oh, what's not to love? But it is great. In 3D, it is. It's, it's yeah. amazing. But, um, but it's one of those films, I mean, even I've said to people, it's not, it's not really one of those films you can watch on television. No, no. You really have to go to cinema and immerse yourself in that and be there with the massive surround sound and stuff. But it's a good point that you make that people's experience at home, the screens are so big and people are tapping the <laughs> five speakers all over their house, you know, so that the people are, I suppose, getting that experience of noise and depth and size. Yeah, it's just the challenges. It's not that they're actually losing out on the experience, it's just the experience has shifted elsewhere. But it's part of the experience must be the communal ex- exchange, mm-hmm. though, isn't it? You sit in a, in a room full of 200... Yes. 500 people you know isn't there some amazing communication that flows through the room where everyone responds to it there together is. and laughter and tears and you know it's a kind of theatre in yeah. that way I mean there is a theatrical isn't element. it tragic that that's gone yeah. or that that's going to be gone yeah, the revival starts here folks <laughs> <laughs> spread the word um, what advice would you give to your 20 year old self don't leave Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going with the physics. No. What advice would I give? Look, l- you know... Do you think you would have gotten into the editing if you had... Yes, I, 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 well, I'd like to think I'd have found my way into editing. I, okay. I didn't know what part of film I was destined for or interested in when I was in Trinity, so it was a nice skip up and a jump that led me to editing, but um, I'd like to think I'd have... Maybe you find your water finds its own level kind of a feeling I don't know um, God if I if I could uh, what advice I, I think I, I learned a lot over time you know that life life is difficult and you know your emotional journey and your creative journey and all the pieces to the puzzle that go through your life they don't stop you know they keep life keeps rolling and maybe you're at 20 you know, I'd experienced a bit of, you know, death in my life. I might have been a little fearsome, you know, and maybe def- went through life a little bit afraid that in the early years that tragedy was going to come again. And actually, I wish I'd known then that not, it sounds so dramatic, not that tragedy would keep coming, but that life keeps coming in all its colours, you know, the the ups, the downs, the blows, the challenges, the criticism, the joys, the awards, it all keeps going and keeps rolling on and on and on. You know, so I, I would have said to my 20-year-old self, just jump on and, you know, get a good foothold and ride it, you know, because it's just going to be, it's going to just fling you around. And, but that's what it is, you know. That's what life is going to go like, both your actual personal life and your work, your work life, you know. There's not going to be a moment when it lands. <laughs> My friend, one of my good friends turned 50 a couple of months, or last year, she said she had to take to the bed in the afternoon because she got a call from her 80-year-old auntie. <laughs> and her 80-year-old auntie said to her, you know, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> and she had to go to bed because she was going, oh, actually, I thought my auntie was going to say, it's amazing. <laughs> it's just fantastic from now on. You know, so she was really depressed. We all spent about months discussing it, you know, because I think her auntie was wrong. I actually think 
we already know how it's going to go because it's been going like this now for 20 years and it's going to keep going like that you know and it's it's going to you're keep going to keep getting blindsided by things that you didn't expect um, it's not what life throws at you it's how you respond to it yeah you rise to me yeah. yeah Philip Crawley the um, the Irish Times theatre critic he uh, he's finished his column he's done a regular column in, in the Times every Friday for the past eight years and very obliquely and very modestly he kind of indicated in last week's last week was his last uh, but he ended the thing he had quoted it was a lovely paragraph but the very last line in it was that every exit is an entrance somewhere else which is a lovely way of looking at it it really is it really yeah. is so um, Peter if you're listening <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you love about what you do? I love that it's different every day and you know I love I love that the novel I'm reading at night the music I'm listening to over breakfast that it's all part of the dialogue that's going on in my everyday work you know that everything informs everything else and you're a better editor you're a better artist you're a better director just by by being here and keeping all the channels open it's 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 been amazing talking to you that it is that kind of way for an editor like yourself that it's pretty much anything you do in life contribute to yeah. the editing process yeah it's me only it. okay <laughs> <laughs> have, have to start having an exciting <laughs> life he's having an exciting life then, I that's, think, the, that's the thing yeah, that's yeah, that's that's yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, thank you so much yeah thank you so yeah, much my pleasure thank, thank you for having so me much. Much.